Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, and you can find it on page 896 in your Pew Bible. First, let us have a word of prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went out and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went out and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And as in his anger, the Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. the good that is ours to do. Forgiveness is an act of faith. Forgiveness is itself an act of faith. 
That's the claim that is being made by Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Nobel Peace Prize winner, in his remarkable book, No Future Without Forgiveness. In this book, the Archbishop of Cape Town, South Africa, tells the story of how the nation came to a truth and reconciliation process following the horrific years of apartheid. Tutu says that he knew after apartheid had ended, if the nation entered into a process of revenge, of vengeance, that the nation would have no way to move forward. If the nation began a whole process of court proceedings about injustices that had happened during the apartheid era, there would be no future. Hence his title of the book, No Future Without Forgiveness. The Nobel Peace Prize winner says the act of forgiveness is itself an act of faith because in forgiving one another, we are declaring our faith in a future that will be different from our past. The act of forgiveness is itself an act of faith because in forgiving one another, we are declaring a faith in a future that is different from our past. Forgiveness is an act of faith, and it takes courage. So a number of you know that for many years, 15 years, I was privileged to teach on the faculty of Columbia Seminary. I was elected to serve on the faculty evaluation committee. This is a high honor among your peers. There were six of us that were chosen to decide each time one of our colleagues came up for tenure or for promotion whether or not that colleague should be encouraged to do so. And so I served on the faculty evaluation committee. One of our junior professors, it was time for her to be considered for promotion to tenure. And she made her tenure application a very involved process. It was about her scholarship, about her teaching, and about her service to the wider church. And those of us on the committee met with her, read her two books that she had published, her numerous articles. We read through her evaluations as a professor, as a teacher at Columbia Seminary. We read the reviews of outside scholars in her field. And we agreed that she was well worthy of receiving tenure, joining our faculty as a permanent member. So we were surprised, shocked even, when we received a confidential letter just to us from the senior colleague in her field of study there at Columbia Seminary. It was a long letter and he told us in no uncertain terms why she should not be granted tenure at Columbia. He talked about her lack of scholarship, how poor she was as a teacher, and how he doubted that she would be able to advance theological education at Columbia in a meaningful way. 
We called him in and sat with him, a man whom I respected and admired greatly. We listened to him, read through his concerns, asked other outside sources, and then unanimously, we as a committee, voted to grant her tenure. He was angry and appalled, so angry that he wrote then an open letter to the entire faculty explaining why she should not receive tenure. It was the first word that she had heard from him other than encouragement. And she was hurt and devastated. That open letter circulated among staff people, among alums, among current students. She was humiliated. Eventually, she was granted tenure by our board of trustees, despite his objections. We were a small faculty, just 37 people. They couldn't avoid each other. Their officers were across the hall from one another. They were the two scholars in this particular field. They were in a department of eight people. She went to him and asked if she could talk with him one-on-one, and he refused. This went on for months. I didn't see them talking to one another. I went to him and to her at different times. It was affecting our whole community. So I was surprised one day when I looked out of my office window and saw the two of them walking and talking on the quadrangle there in the heart of Columbia Seminary's campus. Later on, I saw her in the hallway and pulled her aside and said, I saw the two of you talking, and she said yes. I initiated that. I said, what happened? And she said, I decided to forgive him. I decided that I was tired of carrying the burden of anger and hurt and pain, and I was not going to give him that power over me anymore. I decided to forgive him. I asked her, how did you do that? And she said, it started by my praying for him. When I prayed for him by name, the Holy Spirit changed my heart. And I began to see him in a different way. Desmond Tutu says that forgiveness is an act of faith. It takes courage. He's very clear. He says, forgiveness does not mean that the past wrongs have been washed away. Those still exist. Forgiveness does not mean pretending that you were not hurt or injustices were not done to you. Pretending that everything is okay. But forgiveness is an act of faith in itself because it makes a claim on a future that is different from our past. She was making a claim that their relationship going forward could be different from their relationship in the past. Forgiveness is an act of faith because in our forgiving one another, we are declaring our faith in a future that can be different from our past. It's why 
you and I are called to this. It's why I think Jesus told this parable to remind us that we who have been forgiven by God, how can we do anything less than forgive others? We who know what forgiveness is, how can we do anything less? Sometimes that courage needs to happen with ourselves. The ushers at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Arlington, Texas, they picked her out right away as a visitor because she snuck in at the very last moment just before the call to worship, and she sat in the back corner of the last pew there in the sanctuary. And then, during the last hymn, she ducked out and left. She didn't sign the friendship register. The next Sunday, she was back. She snuck in and sat at the very back corner of the sanctuary just before the call to worship. She worshiped that day, and she left during the start of the last hymn. During the passing of the peace, ushers noticed that when people approached her, she was pleasant, but she did not approach other people, and she did not make eye contact if she could possibly avoid it. They were curious about who she was. So was my friend Alan, who was the pastor there at Westminster Church. Eventually, one of the ushers found out her name and got a phone number from her that she was reluctant to share. They gave it to Alan, and Alan reached out to her, and she said, no, thank you, when Alan asked, could we have a conversation? I just want to hear your story. And she said, you don't want to hear my story. No, thank you. But Alan was persistent to his credit. Eventually, she relented, and they had coffee together there in Arlington, not too far away from the church. And she told him her story. She said that she had been married in Houston, in her home church, which she loved, to a college sweetheart. She said things began to go bad even during the honeymoon. They began to argue over little silly things. When they got back, it was every single day. And the arguments turned into fights and yelling and screaming. She realized after just a few weeks that this marriage was a mistake and that she was beginning to hate him. This led to all kinds of infidelities outside of their marriage vows, something she discovered later he did as well. That led to an unintended pregnancy, and she decided that she did not want to carry the child to term, so she ended that pregnancy on her own. Her mom and dad found out, her sister and brother-in-law and brother found out, It was at the point when they all gathered and told her how disappointed they were in her and her life, how hurt they were by her and the choices she was making. She decided she could not stay there in Houston anymore. So she left, quit her job, got divorced finally, ended up in a new job in an apartment not too far away from Westminster Church in Arlington. She said she snuck her way back into church after waiting for weeks because she missed it. She always loved church. Alan listened to her story, and then he reminded her, you know, there's a portion that happens during the worship service 
when we confess our sins before God and we're reminded that God forgives us. And she looked Alan in the eye and she said, not me. I've ruined my life. I am 25 years old and my life is shattered. God can't forgive me. And Alan looked at her and said, oh yes, God can. Because there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. She shook her head and left the coffee appointment. The next Sunday, she was not there in the back of the sanctuary. And Alan told me that he was worried he had scared her off by their conversation. But the next Sunday, she showed back up. She was there in the corner of the last pew back of the sanctuary. And when Alan pronounced the assurance of God's grace, the certainty of God's love, that you there at Village Antioch just heard from Pastor Tim and we heard from Pastor Zach. Alan stood on his tiptoes and spoke to a young 25-year-old in the corner of the sanctuary, and he said, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in your life. You are worthy. You are so worthy of God's love only because of who you are as a child of God. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that you are forgiven and he was startled by this 25-year-old who was looking up at him with tears streaming down her beautiful face. Forgiveness is an act of faith. Because in forgiving one another and ourselves, we are declaring our faith in a future that will be different from our past. We need not carry around with us the burden and the weight of the pain that we have suffered, of the injustices that we have endured. This is not some glib, easy solution. This takes years. I understand that to be true. But come on, church. If there is anything about us that sets us apart from the rest of the world, it is that we claim a forgiveness in Jesus Christ that we have not earned and of not, we are not worthy. But by the grace of God in Jesus, we're called to forgive one another, even ourselves, because forgiveness is an act of faith. And in forgiving ourselves and one another, we are declaring our faith in a future that's different from our past. That's why I think Jesus told this parable to us. To remind us as we seek to do the good that is ours to do, 
Two weeks ago, Tom reminded us that part of the good we are called to do is to love in God's name. Last week, Tom reminded us the good that we are called to do is to live as faithful people in God's name. Today, we are reminded by the grace of God that part of the good we are called to do is to forgive. Forgive others and forgive even ourselves to declare as an act of faith that our future will be different from our past. That, too, is the good that we are called to do on this day. Thanks be to God, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.